Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we're convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks at greenvilleoaks.org and connect with us on social media. We would love it if you could rate and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Wade Hodges. My dad spent a day and a half trying to teach me to water ski. And over and over, I kept failing, not falling, because that would imply that I got up on my skis for even a second, which I never did. My problem was I kept leaning forward too soon. I'd get up over and in front of my skis and fall face first into the water. And my dad kept telling me something that made absolutely no sense to my 12-year-old brain. He kept saying, you have to lean back and let the boat pull you up. I needed to lean back in order to go forward. And I remember floating in the water, looking at my dad, standing up in the boat, telling me what to do, his voice becoming a bit more animated, his language becoming a bit more colorful after each failed attempt, wondering, what does he know about water skiing? He's an old man. He was 41 years old at the time. (laughs) 10 years younger than I am now. And so I kept ignoring him. And I kept swallowing lake water instead of skiing on it. because I didn't trust him, that he knew what he was talking about. I did not listen to him. Especially when he was telling me something that seemed like the opposite of what I thought I should be doing. Why would I need to lean back in order to go forward? Well, in Mark chapter 8, Jesus' disciples are also struggling to trust him as he tells them things that seem like the exact opposite of what they think they, not to mention Jesus, should be doing. When Jesus tells them they're headed to Jerusalem and when they get there, a 
according to his plan, he is going to be rejected. He is going to be arrested. He is going to be beaten, mocked. He's going to die on a cross, brutally. And then he's going to be raised from the dead. But they never hear the part about being raised from the dead. They couldn't get past all the other things that he said was going to happen to him first. A crucified Messiah. The king, in disgrace, made absolutely no sense to them. Peter and the disciples resist Jesus' vision of the future. But he doesn't stop there with his crucifixion. He goes on to name a non-negotiable prerequisite to following him. In chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, this is what he says as he calls a crowd around him. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Whoever wants to follow me must take up a cross 2,000 years later, the cross is a religious symbol. It's jewelry for many. And the phrase, carry your cross, has been spiritualized to mean bearing a difficult burden, like working for a grumpy boss, or tolerating a meddlesome mother-in-law, or putting up with a neighbor who refuses to clean up after his dog. It's just the cross you have to bear. That's just the cross you have to carry. Life is hard sometimes. That's what you have to put up with. But the first people who heard Jesus say these words heard him calling them to prepare for a shameful death on an excruciatingly painful instrument of execution. They heard him calling them to literally come and die. Now, of course, Jesus isn't saying that the only way one can be his disciple is to carry and die on a literal cross, although some early Christians were crucified and others were violently executed. And sadly, even today, there are places in the world where following Christ can get you killed. But as it turns out, Jesus is also using this call to carry a cross metaphorically. It's literal, but it's also a metaphor. It's a call to embrace a paradoxical philosophy of life and death. One that doesn't necessarily make sense when you first hear it. We could call it the way of the cross. And Jesus' way of the cross includes denying yourself. Or maybe more specifically, denying your selfishness. That instinctive part of you that naturally 
puts your needs and interests above the needs and interests of others. We all have that instinct and we all exercise it. I put my needs and interests above yours. You, left to your own devices, you'll put your needs and interests above mine. It's natural and it's normal. And Jesus says, that's the part of yourself you have to deny. The way of the cross is a paradox. If you want to save your life, if you want to preserve yourself, that part you're denying, you have to let go of it. You have to lose it so that you can receive it back from God as a gift. If you want to really live, Jesus says, you have to crucify your selfishness. It's a paradox. To live, you must die. You must go down to be lifted up. You must lean back to go forward. And this is something Jesus' original disciples are unwilling and unable to do. They did not follow Jesus for shame or suffering or death or even a lesson in demonstrating selflessness. They followed Jesus for power, for status, for glory, which is why when it's time in Jerusalem for Jesus to be crucified, they do not deny themselves and take up their crosses to be with Jesus. Instead, Peter and the other disciples deny and desert Jesus to save themselves. They do the opposite of what Jesus calls them to do here. Because at this point in their journey with Jesus, They do not trust that he knows what he's talking about, not when he's speaking so much nonsense. They will get there. We know they do. But only after they begin to see Jesus from a different perspective, only after they begin to see Jesus from his father's perspective, which is what this next scene is about in Mark chapter 9, Six days later, Jesus takes three of his disciples, including Peter, up onto a mountain with him. And in the Hebrew scriptures, strange and amazing and wonderful and glorious things often happen on mountains. And on this mountain, the curtain or the veil separating heaven from earth is pulled back for just a moment, and Jesus is glorified. The disciples get a sneak peek of Jesus's post-resurrection glory. They see Jesus for who he truly is. And Moses and Elijah are there on the mountain with him, bearing witness to him. They represent the law and the prophets, which Jesus is fulfilling. And they're having a little conversation with one another. And this is all too much for Peter, who never let a thought cross his mind that he didn't also let cross his lips. And he blurts out, oh, it is so good for us to be here. I know, I know. Let's build three shepherds, shelters, one for each of you. Make one for Jesus and for Moses and Elijah. Why? Because Jesus, you don't need to go to Jerusalem. You don't need to die on a cross. This is where you belong, on a mountain, in glory, up here with them. We'll stay with you. I love Mark's editorial comment. Comes across to me as a bit of a whisper. 
he did not know what he was saying. He didn't understand. He couldn't possibly. It was all too much for him to take in. And then a cloud envelops them. And in the Hebrew Scriptures, a cloud, especially on a mountain, is usually a manifestation of the presence of God. And from this cloud comes a voice. And the voice says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. It's very similar to what the voice said about Jesus back in Mark chapter 1 at his baptism. You are my son whom I love. I am so proud or pleased with you. In Mark 1, the voice was for Jesus, affirming Jesus. He heard his father affirming. In Mark 9, the voice is for his disciples. It's a message for them. Because Peter's right. It is good for them to be there, but not for the reason he supposed. It's good for them to be there because they need to see Jesus from a different perspective. And they catch just a glimpse. It is good for them to be there because they need to hear the father affirm his son because they do not yet trust him enough to embrace the paradox of the cross. They need verification that Jesus knows what he's talking about. And so the voice from the cloud assures them and assures us every time we read this story that Jesus can indeed be trusted. He knows what he's talking about, even when what he says doesn't make much sense because it's a paradox. The voice says, and has been saying for 2,000 years now, listen to him. After hours of frustration and failure. I finally learned to ski. But only after my dad told me to get in the boat and to watch him do it. He made me drive the boat. Remember, 12 years old. He was much safer in the water behind the boat than he was in the boat with me as long as I didn't run him over. But when he, from behind the boat, gave me that signal... And I hit the throttle, and the boat lurched forward. My dad, that old man, who couldn't possibly know anything about water skiing, did exactly what he had been telling me to do all along. He leaned back to go forward. And suddenly I saw my dad from a whole new perspective. He apparently did know what he was talking about. And on my next attempt, I leaned back and let the boat pull me up and skied across the lake because I finally trusted him. Because I finally listened to him but only in matters related to water skiing, of course. Once again, 12 years old. Even though 
they heard the voice on the mountain, Jesus' disciples still didn't take seriously his call to carry their cross. Not until after they saw Jesus take up and carry and die on his own cross in Jerusalem and emerge victoriously from the tomb. And maybe that's why on the way down from the mountain, if you keep reading in the story, you'll see that Jesus tells them, don't tell anybody about this until after my resurrection. Now, they do not yet even understand the category of his resurrection. They will, but not yet. And maybe Jesus says, there's no reason to even talk about this to anyone because you don't yet trust me and you won't. You won't take what the voice said about me seriously until you see me practice what I preach. But then after he is raised from the dead, after dying on his cross, they remember all he said, all that they didn't understand. They remember the voice on the mountain and they listen to him. They listen to the one who denied himself, to the one who demonstrated the ultimate kind of selflessness by giving his life as a ransom for many. They trusted the one who gained his life by losing it. turns out Jesus does know what he's talking about after all. In his book, The Divine Conspiracy, Dallas Willard wonders why when we describe Jesus, we don't usually describe him as the smartest person who ever lived. We say other things about him, but that's not one of the first things we think about. Why Jesus? Well, because he was smart, because he knew what he was talking about. But if Jesus is Lord, if Jesus is the beloved Son of God, if Jesus was dead and is now alive, if Jesus was the smartest, if Jesus was the wisest person who ever lived, the best decision we can make in life is to obey the voice from the cloud on the mountain and listen to him. When you wake up in the morning and you're not sure what to do next, listen to him. When you go to bed at night and you're overwhelmed with guilt, shame, remorse because of all the mistakes, all the ways you've let people down during the day, and you need to hear a voice of mercy and forgiveness, Listen to him. When you're negotiating conflict, listen to him. When you're navigating adversity, you feel like all hope is lost, listen to him. When you need to know that you are loved and you are never alone, Listen to him. And when you're called to embrace a paradox, to let go so you can receive, to die so you can live, 
to humble yourself so you can be lifted up. Lean back so you can go forward. Listen to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for sending Jesus. And we thank you for giving Jesus a voice that we can hear. A voice we hear in the scriptures. A voice that speaks to us through song. A voice that comes to us when we pray. A voice that we can hear in conversations with other people. And a voice that speaks into the deepest parts of our heart. Lord, as we hear that voice, as we hear the wisdom, as we hear the truth, we ask that you would give us the faith and the ears to listen to him. And it's in the name of the one who speaks to us that we say, Thank you so much for listening to the message from the Greenville Oaks message broadcast. We hope this message enriched your life and can help you inspire others to follow Jesus because we honestly believe following him is the best way of life possible. Be sure to connect with us online on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube.